The great comparative literature and mythology professor Joseph Campbell once said, follow your bliss and don't be afraid. And doors will open where you did not know they were going to be. The spirit of the podcast is to learn how former Wego Wildcats followed their bliss and for us to get inspired and learn from their stories. Welcome to We Go Places. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at West Chicago High School since 2001. Today's guest is Giovanni Zuniga from the class of 2013. Giovanni attended Clark University in Dubuque, Iowa on a soccer and academic scholarship. He graduated with a major in athletic training with a minor in biology. He continued his studies as a graduate assistant at Dakota Wesleyan University as an assistant with the women's soccer team. Here, he earned his master's in educational policy and administration. During his time at Dakota Wesleyan University, the program was funded for a trip to go to Trinidad and Tobago. They spent two weeks doing free soccer camps for the youth, and they learned about the culture and the way of life. Currently, Giovanni is a teacher at the Abbott House in Mitchell, South Dakota. The Abbott House is a private charity that provides residential treatment, therapeutic foster care, and independent living programming for young people between the age of 7 and 17. Today's guest is Giovanni Zuniga from the class of 2013. Giovanni, what do you do? Hi, well, thank you for having me on, Mr. Turnbaugh. Um, so currently, I am working at a treatment center um, for young women. So uh, it's a treatment center um, for anyone that's around the ages of 10 to 18. Once you turn 18, they kind of you know let you let you out, and they after that they figure out what. What you're gonna do? So they they live there obviously since the treatment center. So they in the mornings they go to school, um, and then about three o'clock they kind of pick them up and they do residential activities involving groups, therapy, um, and all that kind of just to get them prepared for for them to go out back into the I guess I guess normal society per se. But what I do, I am a teacher. I'm a teacher, and I work for with them in the mornings. Um, I work with an older group of girls, um, usually about high school age. A lot of my girls are 15 to 18, um, and I have a group of 14. Um, and as I mentioned, it's it's interesting, something new every day because um, they all come there with different levels of education. Like currently, I have, I guess you can call her a senior per se, um, and she's learning the fu- uh, fundamentals of math. So you know how to add, how to subtract, you know stuff that you and me would would normally learn back in like grade school. Um, and this is due to like you know. Where they grew up, they didn't get the same opportunities of, you know, as you and me, where it's kind of like a given where, hey, you're going to go to school, you're going to go to school in the morning and then come home to like a normal family life. So it's a lot of these girls, they, they don't have that. And I feel a lot of them kind of have to fend for their own and, and school kind of isn't a, a priority to them. So kind of getting them in there and, and having them you know go to school every day, having that mentality of, you know, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to you know, work on my program and, you know, kind of graduate and kind of learn the, the foundations of, of you know, of every, every everything that, you know, a person should know, you know, when they go into the real world. And then I also have the opposite where I do have, I have some girls that, you know, were placed there for, you know, for, for some different reasons. And they are really advanced in, in terms of like what they do um, with, with everything. So it's kind of just a giant pool of everything. And so everything I, I do is kind of like, it's different in, in a way, every day. Um, one time I'm helping somebody in math, like geometry. Another time I'm helping somebody in um, nutrition, and then like literature, and then speech. So it's just kind of all over the place, you know, 
every day. So I guess that's a short wrap up, but you know, there's a lot that goes on, especially when, when a girl decides to act out and, you know, she wants to, you know, start using bad words or she wants to get in a fight or she wants to, you know, run out the door. So just try and juggle that along with, you know, having, trying to teach all these girls and trying to help them out. It's, it can get overwhelming at times, but uh, I, I make the most of it, I guess. So could you describe what's the name of the school that you were at and what's the, maybe the mission of it? Um, so I work right now, it's a, it's called the Abbott House. It's the Abbott House found in Mitchell, South Dakota. We belong to the Mitchell School District. Um, and so their overall mission of, of the organization, it's a nonprofit. Um, they kind of want to prepare girls um, and get them going for um, when they get outside. Um, they, their big, I guess, mission statement is another chance at youth. Um, and so, like I mentioned, a lot of those girls kind of get robbed of, you know, what you, know, you and me would have growing up. A lot of them don't have, you know, a stable, stable home at that they go to every day. Um, they don't get to kind of, you know, play, play catch with dad, you know, like make cookies with mom, you know, so they don't have that. And so I think the Abbott House does a good job of kind of trying to teach them and, and trying to get them back going because a lot of them have a lot of trauma and it's a lot of, a lot of them, it's, it's really hard for them to open up and kind of trust people. I know when I first started, a lot of them, you know, they kind of test you in a way and they try and really act up and to see if you would like, if you would walk out because they're just kind of used to that. And I would always hear that, oh, you're only here for the money. You only care about the money. You don't care about me. You don't care about what I'm doing. And so it's, it's interesting, but once you kind of, once you're there for a while and you start to get to know every one of them, cause they're all different in their own way. They, they kind of start to, you know, respect you and they start listening to you, which is, I guess, kind of cool to see how they all kind of come along. How did you become a teacher at Abbott house? Cause you started off as varsity soccer in West Chicago. And how are you doing? How did you find your way to come to South Dakota to do this good work? Yeah, so it's it's all due to soccer. It's all due to the beautiful game of soccer. Um, so when I graduated from West Chicago, I got offered a scholarship to go play soccer at a small private school up in uh, it's called Dubuque, Iowa. It's a little river river town, about three miles three miles three hours, sorry, from West Chicago, um, in Iowa. And so I went there for four years. And I funny story, I went to school um, for my undergraduate as an athletic trainer. So I finished my four years of athletic training. I um, did my clinical rotations. Um, I took my board test. I passed it, so I'm also a certified athletic trainer. Um, and then, you know, a couple weeks before graduating, like maybe a couple months, you know, I had finished soccer, and I had a good friend there that she played on the women's team. And she had asked me, she was like, you know what, the million-dollar question, what are you going to do once you're out of college? And I was like, well, I was like, still trying to figure that one out. And, you know, I, I heard that question so many times during the holidays. So I was like, I was like hopefully I, I got it figured out by now, but I had it. And so she reached out to me and she was like, so she's like, if you're still kind of trying to figure it out. She was like, um, I have, um, she, she was also working at the school that I went to. It's called Dakota Wesleyan university found in Mitchell, South Dakota. At the moment when she reached out to me, she was a grad assistant for the men's soccer team. And she was really close with both programs, both the men and the women and, uh, the assistant coach, the head coach for the women's team. He was from Trinidad and Tobago. He was looking for a grad assistant, especially someone that can speak Spanish, because he was having a hard time uh, recruiting girls from um, that were down south, like Texas area, California, Arizona, a lot of those big areas where there's a big Hispanic population. And he really wanted someone that can speak Spanish so they can, you know, talk to the parents and 
you know, kind of build that rapport with them and it'll be easier for them to transition and, and come over to like South Dakota, which a lot of people are like, Oh, South Dakota. And, um, and so, yeah, I was like, well, I was like, I don't really have any, anything holding me back. So I was like, we'll give it a shot. If it works out, it works out. If not, well, we're not, we're not going to go with it then. And so decided to go. And, you know, after I graduated, after I got my, my undergraduate, um, the fall, that same day I drove, um, 10 hours down 90 and I ended up hitting a small town called Mitchell, South Dakota. And it's about oh, 17,000 people. So, uh, it's really small, really small. And, um, I didn't know anyone here. So I just kind of, kind of, you know, took a risk and I was like, well, see if it pays off. And I mean, it was, it was kind of hard at first cause you don't know anyone, but after a while, you know, it's, it was a small knitted community. So you start talking to people, you start getting to know them and, you know, before I knew it, I, I was getting invited to like, you know, team dinners and the president of that university did a great job of, you know, involving herself with the, you know, the students and all the athletes. And so both years, uh, she invited us over to her house and, you know, she had dinner for us for every, every team. And so it was just, it was just, I guess, an easy transition when you have, you know, faculty and staff that, you know, care about their students and especially, you know, all the ones that are new. So it was kind of a smooth transition, and I worked under under this guy. He's from Trinidad. He's still there. His name's Clayson Glasgow. Really, really great guy. He's very passionate about what he does, and you know, he gave me a shot. Um, and I worked under him for two years as his grad assistant. Um, and I got my master's through it as a GA. And then um, I want to say the we ended our first season, and the there was the they have a house right next to the university, and I would drive past it every day. It's about maybe a mile off of the university so it's walking distance if you wanted to walk i remember passing through it every day and i was like i wonder what's in there and i was like it looks like a school but it's not and so i remember uh one day my boss at the time was like all right he's like season's done so he's like as part of our uh community service we're going to go donate our time at the abbott house he's like these it's a treatment center for, for girls and a lot of these girls don't get much of you know i guess gym time and so he's like we're gonna all go as a team and we're gonna you know, have them do soccer drills or physical activities so they can get, you know, out of the routine and kind of do something new. And so we did that for about uh, two months and we switched out. And since I was the grad assistant, I was in charge of running the whole thing. And my boss was recruiting. So I would take the girls and we would go there um, like every Thursday of every week for two months. And that's how I kind of got involved with the Abbott House. That's how I, how I heard of it. I just remember walking in and I would see these girls. We would all meet them at the gym. And a lot of them, you know, if they were behaving poorly, they couldn't go because it was a privilege. Um, if some of them wanted to run away, they would take their shoes and they weren't able to participate. And if some of them had, you know, had gone back from running, they had certain things that they couldn't do. And they'd have to wear certain, like, bright tops just in case, you know, so so people could notice them if they decided to run away. So it, it, was, it was different at first. And it, it kind of was like, a, I guess, a culture shock at first. Um, but then um, – you meet them, and like I mentioned before, they they were first really shy, really shy. You would wave at them, and like like head down, you know, wouldn't even look at you. Um, like when they would speak to you, like it would just be like a soft mumble. So it was just it was sad to see, but um, I think the the biggest thing that kind of got me involved with the with the whole nonprofit organization was um, how I guess they would feed off your energy. I remember that was a big thing that my boss taught me, and um, I mean it was. First, it was awkward because, you know, I would try and be enthusiastic and happy and cracking jokes, and they just wouldn't have any of it. But after a while, they kind of start feeding off that energy, and 
you know, those girls that would just look at the ground, look at their shoes, they would start peeking up a little bit and kind of look at you and you would get an occasional smile. So it was, it was, it was nice to see. So just like do something like that, that can make one of these girls' days a little bit better, especially, you know, for them suffering through all the trauma, being away from their families, you know, going through all that. And, um, I, I just started, I was like, yeah, I was like, this is an awesome place and I want to get more involved with it. And I reached out to, you know, the people in the front desk and I was like, uh, by chance are you guys hiring? Because um, since I was a grad assistant, I wasn't getting paid much. So I was like, I'm looking for a part time when I'm not, you know, working here and doing my studies, maybe a couple hours just to see if I could, you know, get more involved with the girls. And I ended up getting hired and I ended up getting hired as a crisis staff member. So I was the guy that was that was calling and expecting up, wanting to get in a fight. And, you know, I would have to, when I did work, I would have to go in and sometimes I would have to talk to them. Um, uh, sometimes I would have to, you know, do restraints and restraints and all that. It got really bad, but um, I made sure that, you know, I never really got to that point because I tried getting to know each and every one of those girls. And I kind of knew when they got upset, you know, I would ask them and, you know, just building that, that trust and that rapport with them was, you know, really easy um, coming when, um, if they started acting up, if they trusted you, they would talk to you. And most of the times when they did, all they, all you had to do was talk to them. And they would, instead of acting up or, you know, wanting to fight, they would just talk to you and they would relax. And that was just, I guess, something really cool to see. And then after a while, I started moving into residential instead of doing the whole crisis situation because they had told me that I did a good job of, you know, getting to know all those girls and all those girls trusted me. So they thought I'd be a good fit for working in the afternoons. And then I was doing that you know, the last year that I was getting my master's. Then after I finished up with my master's, that um, I was I knew the education department coordinator. Um, she used to be a teacher here at, uh, at the town of Mitchell for 20 years, an English teacher also. Um, and so, you know, she had heard I was looking for, you know, a teaching job because I just finished up my master's in education. And uh, at the time, so it's it's a weird school cycle. It's like I mentioned to you, it's, it's all, it's a year-long thing since the treatment center. So at the time when I graduated, on this year in the summer, uh, the teacher that was currently there, she had left. And so, um, yeah, it was it just worked out where she had left at the time. And I had master's and I was looking for a job. And um, I had an interview with the head education person. And uh, I got offered the job. And uh, I've been a teacher there since June of this year. So about I'm getting close to about half a year. And it was it was difficult at first. You know, it was, it's not a traditional teaching job where – you show up and all those kids are there in school because they want to be and they want to learn. Um, so I think that was the toughest thing, just just getting used to it. Uh, sometimes you have behaviors and you have to deal with the behavior and you have to try and help someone out. So there's a whole lot going on. And sometimes I get help. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm there by myself. And I guess you just kind of have to figure it out and you have to kind of be creative in how you how you deal with them. So, so that's, that's such yeah. a – Yeah. No, I mean that's such an interesting – Balance of things that you have to do because uh, on the one hand, you have to continue to construct trust from these students who have had a world where adults have let them down, betrayed them, intentionally abused them in such a way. So, and you would be essentially the next person that they would see to be the person who would let them down. So you have to kind of establish that trust. But uh, in that, you also have to have so many uh, de-escalation strategies. What are some of the kind of techniques that you use uh, to, uh, in addition to either de-escalating or just kind of building trust with them? 
Um, yeah, so I, I mean, it all comes down to like the trust. I mean, we all get a, a big uh, course. Um, everybody that works either as a teacher or residential, it's called trust-based incentive training, um, and it's a big training that a lot of you know uh, facilities similar to that use. Um, it was run by um, can't remember the name on top of my head, but she is big. Um, she had her doctorate in, in social work and all that. Um, and so she had strategies of, you know, de-escalating. She was based off of Texas, Texas um, Christian University. A big course, and we all took that. I mean, that's the biggest thing um, because a lot of staff, um, especially with residential, they come to learn the hard way that if, if you want to um, – her name's Karen Purvis uh, from the TBRI train at Texas Christian University. So, um, But I was saying a lot of those um, – residentials the people that just you know start they, they learn the tough way that if you come in there and you just want to boss them around and kind of scream at them it's not going to get you too far because you know kind of like what you mentioned that's that's something that they dealt with all their lives and it just kind of brings back flashbacks and so i mean i guess the, the best way to to not get them to get there is you know you talk to them in an appropriate manner like you and me are just having a conversation that's how i how i view it like we're just having a conversation get to know them um like knowing stuff about them, their name, you know, what what they like, you know, show that they watch something relatable like that, it goes a long way with them. Um, and so like, if you if you can build that, um, you go a long way. But in terms of like when you have that, you have escalations. Um, I know there's a big thing that we like to do is kind of um, sometimes when you try all everything you can, it doesn't work. Sometimes it's sad to say, but sometimes you just kind of have to do. Uh, kind of like a planned ignored in a way and like kind of talk to them, but sometimes, you know, give them a little bit because if you kind of feed it into everything they say, it kind of doesn't work. You know, we do that. Um, we do a lot of like um, compromises um, in a way and just for them to see, see that, you know, like not everything we say has to go because like I mentioned to you before, that's kind of how they, they were wired before they got there. And so those are, I guess, two of the biggest things. Um, kind of, you know, doing that, um, kind of like you first have to do this for me, um, and then we can kind of, kind of work something out. Uh, a lot of stuff comes down to, you know, them working with their therapist and since they all have different, you know, I guess, what's the best word to say? I guess, uh, problems, I guess, um, they have different treatment plans. And so you kind of have to know each one of them, those, those treatment plans, you know, some girls, you know, like chewing on stuff and so they're getting riled up you know i'm like okay so did you like they have like a like a chew toy or a chew bracelet i'm like you know go chew on your chew bracelet or your chew toy some of them you know they just prefer to block everything out and you know i tell them hey put your head down for a little bit take some deep breaths some of them are very sensory stuff so like you know rubbing their um uh, you know their stomach rubbing their head um, doing uh, sternal rubs on themselves, like stuff like that. So it just comes down to every, everyone, and you know you gotta know their treatment plan. Um, but then if uh, if all else fails, you know you, you have to kind of do a little bit plan ignored, because especially when you only have one person there, like myself, and there's somebody like causing a ruckus in the scene, you can't kind of give them your full attention to them because you have 17 other girls you have to deal with. You know, if, if you ignore all of them, then you have someone else that starts getting, act, you know, acting up. And then instead of having one that acted up, you have two. And then you kind of start losing them. Um, yeah, we can always call for help. Um, you know, call a crisis person if it gets out of hand and they start, you know, throwing punches or they start 
you know, trying to hurt each other or some or themselves. Um, but that's an all if everything else fails. And, you know, I kind of always try and avoid that just so them to see, you know, that we care about them. That That's not a, you know, we're not like, oh, here she goes again. You know, I'm just going to call a crisis person so they can just lock her up. So um, I try to avoid that just for them to see that, you know, they, that we hear them out that, you know. So how do you know when you've made a breakthrough? Um, So a lot of them, um, you can tell by like, you know, their, their tone, like instead of screaming, they start coming down, you know, instead of, you know, heavy breathing, like normal breathing. Um, a lot of them, like you can see it in their eyes. Like I know I have a couple of girls that like, as soon as they start getting riled up, you just, you get that look in their eyes. It's like, okay, like she's about to flip out. I guess it's the best word. And it's like a, like a, like a horse, like with, with blinders, just kind of the only thing they see is rage. And so like, as soon as they start coming down, you kind of, they, they kind of start looking around, you know, you know, they start taking normal breaths. Um, I like using a lot of humor with them, like sarcasm, giving them a hard time. Um, because, it, it, I mean, it goes a long way, like, especially if, you know, if they're laughing. Um, because, like I told you, if, if you just yell at them all day, and um, it, it, it doesn't help them out. Is it a classroom setting that you have? Would the school day look different from what we would know as a school day? Um, so it's, it's similar in a way, but it's, it's different. Um, they, they, they go to school at, uh, they're all supposed to be there at eight 30. Um, and they have to do their morning routine, you know, get ready. Some of them have to take medications. Um, and so they kind of have to do all that before they go. Um, and then they show up, you know, sometimes you have girls, one or two girls that, you know, decide like, whatever, I'm not doing this today. I'm just going to be in bed all day. And, you know, I just start, you know, having a bad mentality and doing whatever I want. And that just kind of you know, drives a whole group, you know, because you can't leave anyone behind. And so you kind of, the mornings, it, it's, I think it's really tough because you have to wake them all up, especially a lot of those girls are morning people. So you have to wake them up. You have to motivate them to get out of bed and, you know, go to school. And then they, they travel a little bit. I mean, it's, it's like five minute walk and then they're in the classroom. Um, so it's, you know, different to like high school, obviously, because um, they're in the same room all day in terms of like school. So, you know, we have a set, you know, schedule. They get there at 8.30, and then I always try doing a morning activity with them, either you know, news, uh, an informatory video where they learn something, you know, me asking them a question, um, doing like a, like a writing activity or like going around the room saying something positive about themselves, you know, to get them off, to, to get them kind of transitioned into school because that's the big thing that these girls, I guess, that they need is transitioning because you can't like be like, okay, we're doing this. Now we're doing this right away. You have to give them some time to transition because if you do, then it, it just kind of throws them off and then all of them don't want to do it. So sometimes when we're starting, like in the morning, we do English very first thing after our activity. I always give them a heads up. Hey, 10 minutes before we stop English. Um, and then we move on to like math. And so like I always give them that transition time, but then, we have blocks of classes every like one hour and a half. And so it's kind of like high school, but like they all stay in the same spot. Um, and then, you know, you, they want to go to bathrooms. They can't be in the bathroom all day. So we have bathroom break hours. We have two bathroom break hours throughout the progress of the day. And then they go to lunch. Um, and then, so I got them in charge of doing all that. And then another thing is water. They all have their, you know, water bottles. And obviously they can't go outside whenever they want because they would abuse that, so they they have a water bottle. I would fill up, and so um, we we had that there, and then um, we have we try and make it you know as 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 fun as we can. And so like 
we always involve you know physical activity on Thursdays. Um, I I do gym with them, um, which you know it's easy for me since I have that that background and, and you know being a leader and a coach for two years. So you know it's just it's just easy for me to for me to do that and um, and then you know like if they had a good week, you know I I give them incentives of like you know you can listen to m- music for the last hour. You know um, other than that in the mornings we have like instrumental music and so you know tell them what they have to do and then they get their assignments and so I kind of like I mentioned before they're all on different levels in terms of academics and so um, they all have different assignments and so they do their their assignments they're done with their assignments and they come turn them in um, and then I check them make sure they're on the right page and they need help you know I help them out if they just copied the same thing from the book you know I'll give them back to them like hey you know it's obviously you just copied it from the book so I can't take this um, and then, you know, if, if they are prog- doing what they're doing, then they get the next set of, of subjects. So I always try giving them, you know, two subjects or two assignments, sorry, at a time. No more than that because if you get more than that, then they just become kind of overwhelmed. When do you know that it's a successful time to transition them out of the program? Is there What's the threshold for that? Um, so there it goes off in phases. Um, they, it's like uh, phase one, two, three, four. Um, so it's it's all kind of, you know, conjunction. It's all grouped in terms of like education. Um, you know, they they work with their therapist. Um, they work with how they do in, you know, residential time. So it's, it's all just all giant, I guess, cohort of like everything has to be doing well. Um, so they can't be like succeeding in like, all the aspects, but one because then they can't move up. Let's say they they do fantastic when they um when they when they get off of school, they do great at in therapy. You know they they work with their therapist about what they what their trauma is. You know what they need to improve on. But let's say they come to school and just have an awful day, just being rude and disrespectful to you know me, other staff, to their uh, peers, not doing any work, just sleeping all day. Um, then they kind of get, you know, they get stuck there. And so for them to be able to move and progress, they have to be doing well in everything. Um, and then as obviously as you go up in phases all the way to phase four, which is the highest one, there's higher expectations. You know, they put you at a different, um, I guess, yeah, expectation of how you have to behave, you know, um, how many um, like community service hours you have to do, um, you know, how you behave with your therapist. So it all comes together like we all work together in all the departments you know, to to give them the best treatment possible you know to get them ready when they leave so when they hit their phase four you know they're 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 ready um most of the time to leave and you know come back and do i guess what they're supposed to do um but a lot of um some of them struggle with therapy some of them struggle with school some of them struggle with residential because a lot of the problems you see in the mornings you don't get you see them in the afternoon, like let's say, like I was so since it's I don't want to say it's it's worse since it's all girls, but you know some of the girls are really mean to each other. Um, there's a lot of aggressiveness, uh, you know, like dirty looks and stuff, and you know you kind of don't see that a lot in school because they're all ha- they're all trying to have a good day because obviously if they don't, then they will get homework. I don't know if I, I forgot to mention that. So they're all supposed to do a certain amount of assignments every day. If they don't do them, then they get homework. So it's it's nice for me in the morning. Because they they try and focus, they try and do their their best in terms of behavior because they don't want homework. Because they get homework, they go back after school to their uh, you could call it a pod. It's like their their rooms, 
and you know they they have to they don't get any privileges you know they can't play you know board games they can't play cards they can't watch TV um if they have homework and so that when they're done with school um you know they're out in residential from like three to whenever they go to bed and so sometimes it's a lot easier you know when the girls decide to you know have a poor attitude and be mean to each other because you know you you won't get homework so it's it's uh it's all a conjunction of everything everything has to go well for them to be able to move up and um, you know, work their program and eventually leave. So, Giovanni, would you say is the the type of student that comes to the Abbott House is it was it because of uh, a issues with substance abuse and other what what were the what are the type of factors that would lead them to come to this to the Abbott House? Yeah, so it's um, it's all basically everything other than education that they go to the Abbott House for. So they have. Um, you know, abuse, like, you know, they were abused by some, they had, uh, substance abuse, they had alcohol abuse, you know, they, they, um, all that stuff, you know, um, the drug abuse. So just kind of trauma, abandonment, kind of being bounced around, you know, so it, it's all that. Um, and so they, they, they primarily, you know, come here to, to figure that out, to, you know, get help in terms of that, especially like if it's like, you know, substance abuse, um, cause they're so young. Um, so it, you know, it's to help them figure that out. And, you know, obviously the, since they stay here, you want to keep them going to school, but a lot of them, you see, you know, if they struggle with like all those issues, a lot of them, you know, they don't really care about school. And so when they get here, you know, several of them are like behind in terms of like their academic years. And so that's why, like, as I mentioned, I have girls that are super, like really old in terms of like high school age that are learning how to do the fun, like basics of math. Um, and so like, I guess it all comes down to, you know, how, what they, what they were dealt in life, I guess. So. What would you say has been uh, a success story that you've observed since you've been there? Um, I think they're all kind of their own success stories in their own way. Um, cause I feel like, you know, it would be really, really difficult to be in kind of in their shoes you know, kind of, you know, living their day by day. Um, I would, you know, see when, especially when I was working in residential, I would see girls call their parents and kind of their parents, you know, they really wouldn't care. They, you know, if they did something well in school, they, they would be like, okay, whatever. Um, same thing with like relatives. Like it, it's hard, I guess, because they don't have support. Um, and so I think, you know, for them to be able to kind of, especially at that young age when they're developing and they got so much other things going on for them to be like, okay, I, I need to, you know, I need to ch change my life around. You know, I need to ask for help. I need to be able to receive it. And, you know, I need to get out of here. You know, I need to do what I have to do to get myself ready and, and you know, move on. And so like, it's, I mean, I, that's why I think for me, it comes down to, you know, every day that, you know, I guess it's like a small victory because some days are hard, but at the end of the day for me, you know, I'm seeing that, seeing a girl start off as someone that's just super rude, doesn't care, you know, it's just cussing everybody out, you know, doing whatever she wants, you know, to her moving on as like, I guess a person of like normal societal standards, you know, where they accept, you know, right or wrong. They accept, you know, redirection. They use some good words. They work together. You know, I, I think, I guess they're all they're all success stories. I guess if they they're able to work with everyone and kind of work their way up and 
you know, eventually leave. And especially if they're, they're leaving and, you know, they go off to school, that's just awesome. You know, go off to college, go off to a trade school, you know, start working, you know, get out of the life, get out of the system that they were in that got them in there. You know, stop, you know, stop using drugs. Like, so I guess it's just, I guess they're all success stories when they're all, when they're all figured out, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the way you, uh, way you explain it, you know, the, the idea that, that they're able to, again, to kind of regain, uh, a sense of control and build trust, uh, in others is just so, so important. You know, what you do there is so important to help, as you said, these childhoods that were stolen uh, from them and to somehow uh, uh, build them back up again, how important and special that work is that you do. Giovanni, could you give us some tips for success of what kind of keeps you going and your optimism and your the type of uh, things that would be uh, helpful for future Wildcats? Absolutely. Um, no, I think it, it comes down to the end of the day. Um, I know it's easy to say. It's like you want to go into something that you're going to enjoy doing. Um, for me, like growing up, like I always had fantastic, you know, teachers. I had fantastic people around me that would always motivate me, especially me, you know, being a, a English second language learner. You know, I had that. It was tough for me when I first was learning the language, but, you know, I had people around me that would always motivate me, that would cheer me up, you know, would make me laugh. You know, tell me that I was good enough. And so, you know, I think at the end of the day, especially if you're working with kids like, like this population, just in teaching in general, you know, just, you know, giving kids, you know, that, that support, you know, talking to them about something they like. Um, uh, and so just like having them making, you know, making them laugh, you know, it goes a long way. Um, uh, so kind of tie something that I learned, I guess it's like a life lesson I learned from English class um, from the Frankenstein book, uh, uh, was read my senior year in AP Lit. I remember the whole nurture versus nature concept. That's something that I always kept in the back of my mind. Um, you know, of how just like learning someone's name goes a long way. Um, and so like, I always, my first thing that I, whenever I get someone new in my classroom, the first thing I always do, you know, I introduce myself. Um, and I give them a fist bump because I can't, you know, it's since I'm a male staff, there's certain boundaries I have to respect and follow. And the only thing I can do is give them a fist bump. Sometimes I can't even give them high fives. So I'll give them a fist bump and I smile, look at them in the eyes, welcome them into the classroom, you know, ask them for their name, um, you know, something they like doing. And, you know, I try and throw in a joke or two in there, you know, get them laughing. Once they sit down, um, the next thing I do, I go around and have all the girls that are in the classroom introduce themselves. Because I feel like it goes a long way. It, it tells that that person that just walked in, like, hey, you know, I'm one in this classroom, you know. And so I guess it just it, it just helps them out. And I guess the other advice I have is, you know, put in the work. You know, sometimes it's it's tough because like you you don't you know you after work you want to go you want to go home. You know, you, you get tired. Um, but there are times that I've been there late. You know, six, seven, eight o'clock, and like. I only get paid to like three o'clock and there's times you have to stay late, you know, catch up on curriculum, catch up on grading. And, um, you know, if, if you want, I guess like for me in terms of being a teacher, if I want the best version of my students, I have to give them the best version of myself. And that means like I have to be prepared. Like I have to have, you know, curriculum printed out. I have to do my research on what they're doing just in case they ask for help. Cause I can't expect them to, you know, do their best. If they come up to me and ask me a question and I have no idea what they're doing. Because it just tells them, hey, you know, he doesn't care. 
you know, I was just here for the money. Um, and you know, that's, I guess that's something that I've learned along the way. Is 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 a, a hard taught lesson, you know, especially you know coming out of college. Um, and I guess I'm thankful for the my boss that I had when I was a grad assistant because he was a very old fashioned guy. You know, he came from Trinidad, so he kind of had that that work mentality. He would call it the grind, and he would always do that. And so we would he would I would sometimes I'd be sleeping at like six o'clock or six thirty, and he would call me. And he'd be like, hey, where you at? He's like, and I'm like, I'm sleeping. He's like, I'm already in the office. I've been here for, you know, an hour. Where you at? And so that mentality of, you know, working it, you know, putting in the time when you have to, it takes you a long way. Because, um, like, no one's going to give you a handout. You know, no one's going to take it easy on you. And, you know, if you're not at the top of your game, you, I guess you can't expect that from anybody else. So that's, I guess that's my biggest life lesson. Put in the work. Put in the work because it has to be done. That's great, great, great advice and uh, really important for everyone uh, to hear. Giovanni, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was, it was great talking to you. Thanks for listening to We Go Places. If you know of a great guest for this podcast, send me an email at b-t-u-r-n-b-a-u-g-h at d-9-4 dot o-r-g.